Hello listeners, this is Build Back Better Caribbean, where we listen to Caribbean civil society share, in their own words, their experiences, ideas and perspectives for creating a more resilient and sustainable Caribbean future. Today we're talking with CarniCycle, a social enterprise bridging the gap between carnival culture and sustainability. I'm talking with Danny McCatchy, who is part of a young Tobago-born duo, um, the second half of which is Luke Harris, who are, I feel, walking the talk as agents of change. They are using advocacy to make the case for integrating environmental, economic, and social sustainability into all aspects of Carnival, from design to the last lap and everything in between. Hello, Danny. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, thank you for bringing us on to your episode. We're very honored to be here. <laughs> great, great. I'm really glad to talk to you. So I want to, let's jump right in. I want to start first with um, your why. Why are you on this mission? Um, what is the genesis of this mission to make Carnival, Carnival as an event and Carnival as a process, more sustainable? So it first started, we started Carnival Cycle in November 2018. Uh, Luke and I have been best friends since high school, and we both um, had interest in sustainability. Him from just appreciation of our island, the environment, nature. And uh, secondly, myself, me, I just never like to throw away things. (laughs) So in my room, there would be like a line of water bottles because there's just no way to recycle anything, right? And so we basically just took our passion for sustainability and also our our passion for wanting to open a business in Tobago and inspire the youth to create an environmental business. Um, after going through a bunch of different dis- business plans, we actually landed on CarnaCycle because we agreed that for an environmental business to work, it has to be something um, that has to be positive. Most of the messaging around environmental movements are usually negative ones. Like you see like um, the ice caps melting or like you'll see like an animal covered in oil. And all those things are very important, but a lot of people, you know, psychology shows that people don't respond to negative messages. So Carnival came up in our heads and it's the most positive event um, you can think of and it's directly integrated in our culture. So we said if we can use Carnival as a mechanism to show how sustainability could be ingrained in our lives, um, we can we can really make a positive impact. <laughs> that is such a cool idea. And I really like that um, you explained that that psychology the positive messaging versus you know the messaging that can come off negative because it's true um i've read that as well that you know seeing that type of messaging which is important can have the opposite effect where people tend to shut down and feel hopeless and think there's no point so positive messaging can actually prompt that um not just the the information getting out there but also prompt people to do something about it so this is a great great um initiative um so we're having this conversation in what I think is an unprecedented context for Trinidad and Tobago and the Caribbean in both our lifetimes. We're living through a pandemic, which has resulted in, among other things, a year without 
a carnival, right? And while that has been challenging, um, I'm thinking that this 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 gap, this pause, is also offering us a lot of space and opportunities to to not just think but also act differently. So an example of this, I, I read a local article recently um, that talked about how um, Trinidad and Tobago costume designers that had been contracted to make costumes for Miami Carnival, which is coming up in October of this year. Um, you know, they had to rise to the challenge of finding materials to make the costumes because, you know, Trinidad and Tobago is in a state of emergency and the borders are closed. So export, importing stuff is is really difficult right now. And they were in a situation, the, the local designer community, where they are now leaning on, on each other, um, sharing materials that they have, swapping materials and so on, so that they could all benefit from this, this opportunity to be able to design and create after a very long period of not being able to do that. And I know that pre-COVID, this type of swapping, this type of sharing was actually part of your, your activity, the activities that you push, your upcycle and your donation markets where you would re be recycling bras and recycling materials from carnival costumes, sharing that material for donation as well, especially with students and up-and-coming designers and so on. So my question is, in this extended period, this kind of gap year that we're going through, um, have you seen opportunities or have you been part of any initiatives that you, Connie Cycle, has been able to exploit to not just um, share your message with more audiences, but also just start to, to re-engineer this, this, this greener, more sustainable carnival that we're looking at? That we want yeah definitely so in terms of uh carnival what we have um in terms of at least the costume building process is your typical like linear take make use and just trash um cycle and or process and so what we try to inspire or ignite is a circular process where costumes are kind of designed with the um, afterthought that materials will be used again for another costume design. And we recycle those costumes in order to, to start that process. So we started costume recycling um, April 2019. Our first carnival was actually Jamaica Carnival because <laughs> Trinidad and Tobago Carnival was too big for us. <laughs> So um, by February 2020, um, we we were like, okay, we're ready for you. And um, that was actually our last carnival that we were able to uh, do our recycling initiative because of the pandemic. Um, but we were able to recycle around over 200 costumes in that little under a year period, which was really awesome. And then before this like lockdown, we were able to start to hold monthly upcycle markets where we would be able to sell um, some of the sanitized uh, feathers, gems, other uh, carnival costumes to both local designers and local students, artists, um, families for art projects at a super, super discounted price. <laughs> like super, super discounted price. And um, it was awesome to see the impact for on one hand, some of like the local entrepreneurs who would come and get these materials to use for their jewelry making and actually make some really awesome pieces that they went and sold back in like other up markets and like green markets. And that was really awesome to see that direct impact there. And then more recently, um, around two designers came forth um, to purchase materials for us um, for prototyping reasons. 
So the traditional prototyping way is designers will travel to like New York or Miami um, to look at different um, appliques and feathers, and then they would bring back materials back home um, to Trinidad and Tobago, which would be very expensive. So some could say prototyping is one of the most expensive part of costume designing. Um, with our circular process, you know, once we get enough, once we collect enough costumes, uh, we would completely eliminate that uh, process of leaving the country to get feathers um, when you have perfectly good feathers here. So not only it saves the environment um, from the plane ride, from purchasing virgin materials, but um, it also saves the designer money <laughs> from getting some stuff locally here. So that helps that local economy as well. Wow, that is excellent. Really, really excellent. Um, so we talk, we, you just talked about the, the design part of it. So we've been told that carnival, especially in the Caribbean, is usually driven by the demands of the masquerader, right? or the feta or the particle, you know, um, it's, you know, it's very logical to assume that their taste, what they want, would significantly um, influence how costumes evolve, how the parties are, are organized, how accommodation is organized and all that sort of stuff. And I was looking at your website, of course, um, and I know that you define carnival culture as as the festivals and then the events and activities that are attached to it and so on. And of course, going deeper into your work and the adv advocacy and, and this conversation, we could also argue that the, the culture change or the shift that you're working towards is, is about getting folks to see the potential for sustainability and that circularity in the process of carnival, you know, how we design the materials, everything you just talked about before. So thinking ahead specifically um, about ca Caribbean carnivals that, that may happen, I don't know if anything is being planned later this year, but in 2022, you know, once the vaccination um, drive gets underway and so on, do you feel like enough work has been done for us to see that demand from folks who are carnival enthusiasts? enthusiasts, um, the, the partiers, the masqueraders and so on, enough demand, enough work uh, to see that demand from them for a more sustainable experience. Uh, and if, you, if it is you don't think we're there yet, what else do you think needs to be done for us to get to that, po to get to that point? I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're getting there. And um, I can use us as an example. You can say um, our so our initiative in this like two and a half years has really grown a lot from our first carnival recycling experience in Jamaica, where we collected I think twenty eight costumes. Um, to I think to Trinidad and Tobago Carnival, where people were literally like in our DMs asking where to find us. Like you know what I mean. Um, so just using us as a case study, we can like see or we could prove that people have started to inquire about costume recycling and people have shared with us pictures of like um, the trash they've seen in FETs. And so we know there are a, a lot of conscious people out there um, who want to see change. But I think that's still a small population out of the, all the like masqueraders out there. <laughs> and to see that change, um, one, they need to be educated because honestly, I think a lot of people still just don't know their impact. Um, and they don't know that like 
islands are, you know, predisposed to like the harsher effects of climate change. So we have it the worst. We're facing the worst brunt if we don't get it right. And so they need to be educated about those things. And I think also the stakeholders, um, the feds themselves, the mass bands themselves, those who have direct influence over the masqueraders um, should be also at the forefront of educating them and trying to implement more sustainable changes in their processes. So have you... um... Have you had any collaborations in the past carnivals with um, speaking specifically about Trinidad and Tobago Carnival or or uh, carnivals in the in the region? Have you started that type of collaboration with um, uh, carnival bands or, or any of the carnival stakeholders, or is that something that you have on your agenda for let's say twenty twenty two? Yeah. So for Trinidad and of uh, starting back, we, got, we did Miami Carnival in twenty nineteen. And we partnered with Gen X. Um, they're a carnival band that has ties to, I believe, Carnival Rogue here in Trinidad and Tobago. And then for Trinidad Carnival, we partnered with Tribe. And we were able to um, recycle costumes by um, both on the day of the parade, so by the um, Soka Drum and um, by the Savannah. And then we were able to host a recycling um, receptacle by their mass camp, which was really awesome. And then they promoted us throughout the whole carnival season. Um, We were also able to attend one of their events, Tribe Ignite, where we played eco-friendly games with patrons. Um, We call it bra pong. So we had recycled carnival bras on this little stand and people would um, answer a an eco-friendly question about Trinidad and Tobago and then um, throw the ball in there. And if they got both the question and the ball in the cup, they got a, like an eco-friendly straw or something. So we did that and they, re- they really have supported us. And most recently, um, they had a lot of excess costumes that they were trying to get rid of in their warehouse because they had to downsize due to the, p- the pandemic. And they were able to donate those materials to us that would have otherwise been thrown away. So they've been very supportive. And um, that's a partnership we're trying to move forward for the next carnival. And then there's been recently um, a new carnival band, Amara Carnival, who has formed um, from Ronnie and Caro section. And they actually bought some materials for prototyping costumes for us. So, and they want to work with us in the future because they want to, since they're new, they want to start out right from the from the get-go. So we're not only looking at costumes, but other part of their FET planning um, or their mass band planning to see how we can make it greener from the start. That is awesome. That is really awesome. I really like that, that they, they want to get it right from the start. Great. So, all right. So I want to just switch back to Carnes Cycle now as the organization because I thought it really interesting that you are a social enterprise um, which in our context in Trinidad and Tobago that's kind of the exception you know most organizations yeah most organizations if you're devoted to a cause you tend to go non-profit or you go non-governmental organization and as social entrepreneurs therefore you know you occupy a really unique space in the sense that you know you have you have very 
um, focused financial activity that, you know, serves your cause, serves your advocacy. And I want you to tell me, um, because I thought it would be interesting to get into what was the reasoning behind um, that choice, choosing that structure, the social enterprise structure, and also um, how have you seen the structure being useful or advantageous in, in supporting your work? Uh, so the concept of social entrepreneurship is still, um, I don't think, widely accepted. But at the beginning, as I mentioned, like that was both me and Luke's goal was to have a business. Um, and through our research, um, well, I knew about social entrepreneurship before, but just through more research together on the type of businesses, we realized that every business should be a social enterprise. Um, we should no longer just be having businesses that work just solely for the point of money, but every business should also have uh, either a social or environmental in- impact or a local impact to the economy, which defines a social enterprise. So that's our that's our stance on businesses of the future. And we've also, just in Trinidad and Tobago, have seen a lot of nonprofits in the environmental space who could not have gone further because they're relying on grants. Um, we know that nonprofits should also have a sustainable business model, even though they're relying on money. But we've seen more uh, worst case scenarios than positive case scenarios. So we decided anyway um, that we wanted to not, to, I guess, go against the grain, even though it's not popular, because we believe that um, in the future, social entre- enterprises will be basically a regular business. And um, we've seen more acceptance of it because we recently applied for the um, GIC, so the Green Innovation Challenge, which were typically, like that grant was only typically open to NGOs. And this year it was open to social enterprises. So I think that's really awesome. And you see slowly within the country, um, there's that change. It's just, you know, it's going to happen slowly. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen for sure. The Green Entre- uh, green Innovation Challenge, is it? That's, um, it's a, just tell us a little bit more about it. Um, it's put on by the UNDP and they're collaborating with Kariri on this as well. And um, I think there was another name for it previously. I think S Small Development Grant. So it's UNDP Small Development Grant, but they partnered with Kariri to make it a innovation challenge. And it's open to both social enterprises and NGOs um, to create a, a green business or a green product, like a tech product, or even um, a physical green product. And so we apply because um, to further our social enterprise, we wanna start offering a consulting branch. And so we were shortlisted for the grant. Um, So right now we're in the top 15 and they're gonna select the top three to um, receive a grant prize of up to 10,000 US dollars. Wow, excellent. Sounds good. Um, just one last question before we, we close off. Um, you were talking about social enterprises being the, the business model of the future. Um, and I, I thought that was really exciting. Um, have you found in the Trinidad and Tobago space any mentors, any mentorship? Uh, because as we, we said, you know, 
now it's kind of the exception rather than the rule. Um, have there been other social ent- entrepreneurs that you've hooked up with or you've learned from to be able to to hone your skills and make your organization a little more a little more focused for the future? Yeah. So her name is Shan, or of uh, or her business is Sayel Environmental Consulting. And her consulting business is actually a social enterprise. It's not a nonprofit. And and she's been a mentor for us um, since we started recycling in Trinidad and Tobago, since we did the Trinidad and Tobago Carnival. So a little over a year now, she's been a mentor in that space. And um, she's really awesome, has a lot of acc- accolades under her belt. But most importantly, she knows the struggle. <laughs> um, since she's been in this space for a long time and also because she's also had a lot of back and forth going between making her business either a social enterprise and a nonprofit. And so she's been able to help guide us a lot more in our decision to stay a social enterprise or move to a nonprofit. Yeah, I think that's really important, you know, the the, the sharing of the knowledge within the space. And, and, and I'm sure it helped you feel more comfortable and more confident about the, the role that you're playing. So that's excellent. Great. Before we close off, is there anything else you want to add, Dani? I'd just like to say thank you. Um, really are grateful for the support we have. Um, I forgot to mention one more mentor. His name is Matthew Desant. He's actually a mentor on the the FET space. So it's actually pretty hard to get into the FET industry or the mass band industry. The circles are really tight. (laughs) And he's been able to break down a lot of barriers for us in uh, us being able to communicate to different people. We definitely haven't done it on our own. So just shouting out to him and shouting out to all of our supporters um, who have been with us from the start. And, you know, we're able to continue getting a lot of opportunities like this one because they're able to help support our work throughout this whole process. So very grateful. Um, just thank you. No problem at all. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I really like the idea of, and I think our listeners like the idea as well, of adding sustainability to the mix. Um, I think that makes carnival preparation and the anticipation a lot more exciting. And, and there's a lot more potential for creativity, I think. So thanks once again. We really enjoyed it. Listeners, this podcast series is produced and presented by the United Nations Information Center for the Caribbean area, the voice of the United Nations in the Caribbean. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please leave us a comment to let us know what you thought. For more content in this series and to find out more about our partnership with civil society, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media at Caribbean UN.